The Commonwealth Parliamentary Association UK supports and strengthens parliamentary democracy throughout the Commonwealth. It focuses on key priority themes, including women in Parliament, modern slavery, financial oversight, security and trade. Peer-to-peer learning is central to the way CPA UK works, bringing together UK and Commonwealth parliamentarians and officials to share knowledge and learn from each other. For more information, go to www.uk-cpa.org. Right, well, I don't know, Bruce, if we're supposed to um, kick this off, and uh, if so, firstly introduce ourselves and then maybe engage in some dialogue as to how all this remote working is working in our uh, different jurisdictions. Well, d- delighted to be uh, with you here today, MP Speller, and uh, I, you know, anytime we can uh, get together to help uh, share some ideas amongst our uh, Commonwealth Parliaments, I think that's good, and I appreciate the uh, Commonwealth Parliamentary Association uh, setting this up today. Well, thank you, and maybe if we just, if I just said a few words about uh, about myself. Um, I'm a Labour Member of Parliament, uh, was elected for the current area in 1992. I was briefly a Member of Parliament when I won a by-election in 1982 and the electorate thought better of it in the 83 election, Um, but I comforted myself it wasn't personal because we got hit by a landslide. And uh, during the course of the Labour government, I was a uh, Defence Minister, Minister of Transport, Minister for Northern Ireland, and Deputy Chief Whip in the the Commons. And then after we went into opposition, I was Deputy Foreign Affairs Spokesman, and currently I'm the uh, Ranking Minority Member on the uh, Defence Committee. Um, and so therefore I've uh, seen a number of changes in, uh, in Parliament, but nothing as dramatic uh, as this that we, uh, we're experiencing now. And I, firstly, I want to pay tribute, and I'm sure that it'll be the same in Canada, to the work of our parliamentary staff and parliamentary authorities who have performed, frankly, miracles in enabling a system that has enabled um, a, um, a a sort of virtual parliament, I would say um, still with some serious uh, deficiencies, I think they are actually intrinsic and not, uh, at, uh, not actually able to be resolved. And I think that was one of the drivers behind the decision in parliament yesterday to actually vote to return into a uh, normal parliament such as it will be, but obviously with uh, a number of restrictions and variations. Um, on, Mon- on Monday week, we've got a bank holiday, a holiday scheduled, and I think that fortuitously enables them to make some further adjustments. But they have managed to make uh, changes. The Chamber of the House of Commons still sits. There are normally there are a number of people still present there, and they um, at the same time at the same time they've erected big screens from which people are beamed are beamed in, asking their questions or making their speeches. I suppose the great thing for you, uh, Mr. Deputy Speaker, um, is that you can cut them off if necessary, and they have no recourse. Whereas in the chamber, they can uh, they can continue and can uh, disrupt proceedings, but they just vanish from uh, vanish from sound and view. Um, so that has undoubtedly made some changes. So um, select committees, parliamentary committees mainly work well, but again, you lose a lot of the nuances and the exchanges between members 
and the ability to pick up on the mood. And I think that's probably the big loss. Um, I would describe, we have um, a system of oral questions. Each day a different department asks, uh, answers questions. And you can pick up a mood when a minister is stumbling, when a minister clearly has an indefensible policy. The, the commons very quickly becomes a pack and really exposes that. And I think that's a good thing, exposing bad policy. I've also said to ministers, although they don't really appreciate it, that actually it helps them because they can go back to their departments and say, why did I have such a hell of a day today? And you lose that. This is basically verbal written questions. Um, the minister gives a reply, the uh, member of parliament comes back with a repost, and the minister gives another reply. You lose that momentum and that sort of pace, uh, pace of it all. Um, they have successfully um, organized uh, remote voting and that system uh, they seem to have uh, seem to have op operated operated well but again you, you must play between members you're voting you're engaging with your fellow members and you can cover an awful lot of subjects and an awful lot of issues and look and making arrangements for meetings and so on much more effectively when you're there in the division lobbies, in the members' tea room, um, and actually in the chamber. So it's lost a lot, it's been necessary, but I think that there is a, a, a mood, although it's going to be difficult in the initial instance, to move, to, uh, to move back towards a more, a more traditional system, but undoubtedly with uh, significant variations. I think it's also from the point of view of the public, um, I think they're seeing a lot, of, a, a lot of that. So maybe they don't miss as much as, uh, as, as we do as parliamentarians. But even then, I think they miss some of that cut and thrust, which is part of the theatre of politics. But that is actually an important part of the political process as well. So that's roughly where we are at the moment and we're uh, moving, moving towards. Sure, there's a lot of details to uh, fill in, but would be very interested to hear what's happening on, on your side of the Atlantic. Well, uh, thank you very much. I mean, that, that was a great uh, rundown and I'm actually um, quite interested to uh, hear this latest development of, of in fact looking at next week um, expanding to beyond uh, what appears to have been kind of a, a hybrid approach uh, to this point. So uh, well, points well made and I'll just take a few minutes to give you that overview just as a uh, introduction of myself. I mean, and, and by the way, a, a, a great uh, service to your country there, MP Speller and, and Minister and Right Honourable. And I, you, you've certainly gained that um, gained that recognition through some great work uh, on, beha on behalf of your constituents and all of the UK. So uh, my, my history doesn't go quite that deep. I uh, started as an MP in 2006 from the Central Ontario riding of uh, Simcoe North and uh, have been in, I'm now in my fifth uh, mandate and the last three of those I've been serving as a as one of the chair occupants in the House of Commons the last two as the deputy speaker to the current speaker um, I've served under three different speakers as it turns out but um, currently speaker Anthony Rhoda is the fellow I uh, work with and we have two other assistant deputies. So much of my work has been involved in the uh, work of the House of Commons 
and it's been a real honor to be a part of that. But just as you uh, described, John, I mean, this is a, we've never seen anything like this in, in terms of the kinds of changes that it has um, compelled Parliament to take in order to follow the health recommendations that we all must abide by. So I'll give you a brief rundown on, on how things have gone for us um, since the adjournment now uh, dating back to March the 13th. In the time since March 13th, the House has gone through a couple of recalls to pass legislation. It has uh, created the ability for standing committees to uh, meet uh, with a video conference, but very limited um, means of, for example, they can only meet to hear witness testimony. They have, uh, the House has on three occasions passed special orders, uh, mainly by unanimous consent. That's with a small quorum, I should point out. So a small uh, gathering of MPs in proportion to the parties in the House have met to pass a special order that has created uh, not only the abilities for the committees to meet, but also the uh, uh, what's called a special committee on COVID-19. Uh, that special committee has been the one that has been meeting three days per week since May April the 28th. Two of those meetings are in a video conference and one is a reduced quorum in-person session. So that has been going on, including right up till today. Uh, and so has been also restricted though, in the sense that uh, the scope of that committee has only been on matters relating to COVID-19. Uh, it does allow the members of the opposition and all members, frankly, to pose questions to the government um, in, a, in a kind of a, a variation on question time where members have five minutes to pose questions to ministers of the government and then have that exchange for five minutes and then we move on to another another uh, list of, of MPs. So that can be done both virtually and the same thing happens um, in the in-person session on uh, Wednesdays. Uh, one of the other developments was that uh, on or about the uh, around the 15th of uh, April the, uh, the Standing Committee on Procedures and House Affairs uh, was tasked to look into what Parliament would need to do to modify its operations to allow all MPs to participate in you know, what we'll say is a virtual Parliament. In other words, to allow the full functioning of the House, um, not just the Special Committee, but the full House uh, in a, uh, to manage the day-to-day -day program that the House of Commons typically has which just as you referred to has then the usual uh, tools for MPs to question the government to, for example, to order documents, uh, to compel testimony, all of the usual things that the House of Commons would have that were to the greatest extent limited in the committee format that we have been uh, using this last while. Uh, so that report just got tabled yesterday with the House in yesterday's in-person session and it's a very comprehensive report on what the House might uh, wish to do. They will first consider that really on Monday. Uh, May 25th is when the House comes back to, uh, to look at those recommendations and from that point forward the parties will decide presumably whether they will go the route of a hybrid parliament like you've been having in the UK 
uh, or the resumption of just the special committee or some some possibility or facet of the two uh, that will remain to be seen. Um, I would just wrap up on a, on a comment in terms of before we get into some of our, our questions around how this has been working. Uh, the uh, the issues around how the uh, parliament has worked, or should I say not parliament, it's really the special committee on COVID-19 that's been the testing ground for our virtual exchanges uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And one of those big hurdles was the issue of having simultaneous uh, interpretation for the members. So we have in Canada, of course, uh, you're able to, and it, it was a necessity to provide, and so that members could hear uh, presentations and speeches in both French and English, and they can choose the channel that they wish to do that. One of the unique uh, limitations of this technology is that um, the interpreters, of course, have to be able to hear clearly what the members are saying. And so the uh, difficulties with audio have been a, a real hurdle for interpreters and to the point where it's extremely hard for them to provide that kind of interpretation when the audio is more poor. So we're getting to all the members that we can to make sure they're using headsets and make sure that that audio quality is as good as, it's can be, as it can be. Um, but another limitation came down to the fact that they, they had to, uh, if you're speaking in English, you had to choose the English channel on your Zoom um, task board there. They're looking at your window. You have to select the interpretation mode and only speak in the channel that you are speaking. If you want to speak from, want to switch from English to French, you also had to change the channel on your Zoom menu in order to make sure that that would work. So it's probably, a, there's a technical reason for all of that, um, but that has been a difficulty in one of the things that we've been managing with uh, simultaneous interpretation. So been a fascinating journey. Uh, suffice to say that we're, we're a little behind where the UK is in terms of, of implementing a hybrid parliament. It remains to be seen whether the parties will, uh, what kind of um, uh, the next few weeks is going to be for us, whether it'll be uh, a hybrid or the continuation of the special committee. And uh, we would normally sit through until the normal day of adjournment for us in June would be around the 19th. And it also raises the question of whether there will be some kind of proceedings continuing on through the summer in light of the uh, health emergency that we're still uh, within. So uh, John, that's, that's about it and, and kind of a summary and I'd be happy to uh, continue with uh, some of the questions that, uh, that we had kind of posed for our uh, get together today. Well, certainly, and thank you, thank you for that. And uh, I, I don't think the bilingual problem is going to be one that we're going to have to, uh, to have to wrestle with. But one that we are uh, finding um, quite difficult is if Parliament isn't sitting, then the public do start to question what MPs are doing for, uh, for their salary. Now, I don't know about yourselves, which is why I'm asking. I would say nearly all members of parliament from all parties and all regions have seen a massive escalation of constituency casework. Um, not all uh, immediately health related, a lot of it to do with employment, to do with the, ver the various schemes in order to maintain people's income or to maintain their, uh, their businesses. 
issues on, on the self-employed. Um, also to do with uh, recreational issues, what recreations people can undertake or not. And in my case, a, a huge workload with, um, and I know Canada has a big Sikh population, and I had a significant number, uh, particularly of elderly and retired Sikhs who go and see the family in March, because that's about the best time of year. And mm -hmm. of course, then got stuck in the uh, in the Punjab. And I know Canada organised quite a few flights for their nationals. Uh, nationals yep. back. In fact, I've quoted this several times at our government ministers, uh, to your credit and and their discredit. Um, but um, I think one of the messages we do need to get across, and I'd be interested in your observations on that before we get on to the main questions, is whether you're facing that similar issue, convincing the public basically that we're earning our corn. Yeah, very much so. Uh, we, all of our MPs, of course, they're all back in, including ministers, many of them working from home in their home ridings. But the, the volume of inquiries right from the get-go, from the, the imposition of this new era and, and all the health restrictions, uh, the, the degree to which the government programs have reached broadly across each of our ridings have also created a ton of work. Uh, we're not seeing people in person, obviously, but through phone and email, our, our constituency staff are right at their limit. Uh, mm -hmm. And in fact, in many cases, over it. Just yeah. as you say, initially, a big surge of uh, repatriation issues, people wanting to get back home. The government had the call out for Canadians to get back home, but the logistics of doing that have just been almost insurmountable in some cases. Uh, Foreign Affairs has organized, uh, I, I forget the number now, but it's in the range of about 50,000 or so Canadians to get them back home uh, through various flights and other means. It's uh, where Canadians are, are I'm sure as, uh, as citizens in the UK, they're avid travelers. And so, especially in March, they're distant places around the world. But as that started to um, tail off, we have switched into support on the government programs, which are very far reaching income supports for businesses and these other things, raising a multitude of questions. So we, we're all doing the same thing. And, uh, and the final point, you mentioned it, uh, John, and that is the, uh, the degree of interest with which the public see these virtual sessions. Um, is uh, probably minimal at best. Uh, I would, I think it's be fair to say that our, uh, even our media reporting of virtual sessions is next to nil um, compared with, for example, daily sessions in the House of Commons. When the House is functioning and question period is on, this is often where uh, journalists will take their cues as to the issues of the day. That's just not the case uh, in following these virtual sessions. They, they're happening, certainly. Questions are being put, answers are provided, um, but very little of it is, is catching the attention of the public. And so, too, um, the really the, the, the takeaway for the public is that MPs aren't doing a whole lot, certainly as it relates to Parliament. Good. Now, maybe uh, I think, as you just suggested, we should look at some of the questions, the exam questions that were posed to us. And one which we've touched on, but um, I think we might just explore a bit more, is how have members adapted to the new, uh, the new regime and the new procedures? 
Well, and I, I did mention that issue with the uh, the simultaneous uh, mm -hmm. translation, so I, I won't go over that again. But uh, one of the key early lessons on was the necessity of the members all having good connectivity uh, and the support and resources that they need, the equipment. Uh, in some cases, members, you know, didn't have the right um, connectivity and connections or even equipment in their offices to be able to connect on these uh, video conferences. So that had to be done. Um, the uh, audio is a is a whole other question when we get to a virtual parliament uh, that because that would have to be broadcast um, making sure that the audio quality was scrubbed and so on uh, one of the practical things we've had difficulties with is the ability uh, during these um, sessions of the special committee uh, for members to raise points of order <clears throat> right now the only way they can do that is by pushing their space bar and jumping in and interrupting uh, using audio. And that has caused uh, some concerns, especially if multiple members are doing it at the same time. Uh, it's not like when you're in person where members can stand up and try to be recognized. So your ability to stand up on a point to be recognized by the chair um, becomes a, a whole different matter. Um, How do you resolve I, that as a, as, a, as a deputy speaker? It's, uh, I mean, really, you have to wait. If there's multitudes doing it, uh, all, all one can do is wait until you hear the final one. Uh, or, you know, if there's at the point of order, you have to, there is an ability on the virtual call, the call managers, the clerk who's in the room at the time the chair is doing his or her work, um, they can actually mute all the microphones uh, temporarily so that just the chair, so we, we can basically silence all the microphones. Mm. The chair then has the ability, much like we do when we stand in the house, the video and the audio is cut off to the members on the floor. So it's, it effectively mimics the same uh, scenario so that you can get order back and then address the point of order and then pick it up from there and, and carry on. But it's uh, just as you say, the, what is lost in this virtual setting is the, the human dynamic, which you know, we as human beings, we, we communicate through body language as much as anything else, um, if not more so. And so it's really hard to pick up on some of those normal body language cues when you're observing over a video call. Yes, I mean, um, in our parliament at the moment, we don't have points of order, which is a, um, a, a point of frustration. Um, as a number of speakers have often described points of order, that is not a point of order, they say, that's a point of frustration. Um, but, um, and again, I think that that makes it slightly flat and causes, uh, does cause a, a, a bit of irritation, because particularly if a minister is failing to answer questions repeatedly or, 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 or basically providing uh, fairly meaningless answers. There is no mechanism really for intervening on that, both to signal to the public but also to signal to other members that um, you know, this is un un unsatisfactory, bordering on unacceptable. And so it makes right. it for, for quite flat proceedings and you know, it's almost becomes, as I said earlier, a bit more like an exchange of letters that or it is. an exchange of emails than actually a, a, a debate. A debate, yeah. I mean, there, there, none of this, I think it's become recognized, and I think I do think this goes across all parties. It's mm -hmm. recognized that while the, the video conference is a, 
is a is a, perhaps a a reasonable means to sort of exchange information and you know hard bits of data around how we can be informed. What's lost in it is the deliberative side of it. Um, that as well as some of the other tools that members would normally be able to use. I say that in our sense because we don't have the full faculty of, um, of uh, parliamentary uh, daily program back in operation yet as you do in the UK. But uh, the limits that we've had thus far um, have uh, really restrained MPs and their ability to do their parliamentary functions. And so we'll see what comes of that. But it, uh, but without the, without the ability to meet in person, even for the committees, uh, the c people who have been participating on committees have been extremely frustrated at the, uh, the, the way in which the, the normal deliberative process has unfolded. I think I can say that almost across the board. Uh, nothing can replace the in-person session. Um, and yet we know as parliamentarians, we have to abide by the health restrictions that our chief medical officers and others have put in front of us. You moved actually seamlessly on to the next issue that I wanted to discuss because I, I think sometimes even more in committees, you lose the pace of the way in which that takes place, particularly when you've got a witness and the great advantage in committees is you can come back with successive questions, which is clearly um, impossible in the uh, in the parliamentary in the full in the full commons in the full chamber. But you are able to uh, to come back, and therefore you manage to dig much deeper into an issue of why a particular engine has failed, um, and whether that was a series of accidents or whether it was systemic, and was that due to design or maintenance? And it's very difficult to do that when you're doing that from a series of remote locations. And it's not the case of just catching the chairman's eye. And I know we have these notes and everything that enable you to do some of it. But I think you, we actually lose, in many ways, more in the committees. It facilitates some of the committees. work. It enables us to take evidence from people transatlantic, uh, which we did uh, only, only last week. Um, but at the same time, I think we lose a lot, particularly getting really to the bottom of issues. And from what you're saying is that seems to be a frustration in Canada as well. I think it's fair to say that that uh, is exactly what the experience has been. I mean, we know that committees can often be um, a great way for cross-party uh, cooperation and understanding as well because it's a smaller group of MPs they're working together and hearing testimony at the same time but when they're physically apart from each other you you lose that dynamic and it's almost as though it's not like they're anonymous when they're um, presenting and or doing their part of the questioning but their their physical and sort of technical distance from the actual heart of the matter um, in some ways makes it a little bit easier for them to uh, perhaps treat that uh, exchange in a in a different way and perhaps not as one that's as aware of the of the kind of dynamics that would normally be in the room so you really lose something there I think and uh, again you know we understand the reasons why but I think it it points us in the direction of uh, finding ways to get back to 
um, more of that in-person um, connection to do the work of, of Parliament. I, I think our Westminster system, it, it was all designed around that and, and we, we've all come to appreciate the, the, the virtues of it. And so it's very difficult for us to, to sort of back away from it and we miss uh, some of the, uh, yes, certainly adversarial um, elements that raise these key questions, but also some of the uh, camaraderie that can be had through it as well. Well, I think that's, uh, that's also important because very often it's the, um, the shaping of opinions and moods in the, uh, in the parliament merely by the informal interchanges and uh, understanding others' position. And it's, I mean, there's been quite a bit, I find, of atomization of politics, some of it inevitable, the rise in constituency casework, the tendency to do more work on computers and emails, and all of these are possibly inevitable. But there is a downside to it as well, um, in that people are losing that exchange outside of their normal bubble. And I don't just mean their own party, I mean even within their own party. Um, it becomes very sort of sectionalized and factionalized and, you know, people just uh, define themselves almost by which WhatsApp group that, they, uh, that, that, that they're on. And therefore the ability to find workable compromise, and that's particularly significant at the moment, where the, nobody's clear as to what the answers are. Um, and whatever they are is going to be required significant compromises of desired, of, of desired outcomes and, and methods. And I think that we're losing a lot, of, a lot of that. And I don't see any easy way of creating an artificial substitute for it. Yeah, I'm convinced that there that there isn't. I mean, there it has its. Uh, there's a utility to the the video conference. I mean, as as we're uh, the house will be looking at this possibility of a virtual parliament, um, or I should say a hybrid, which is to say that we'll have a small quorum in the house um, if they decide to go ahead with that. How do you decide How, the quorum? How, um, the, uh, the balance between members. Good question. The usual channels will will sort that out. I mean, typically for us, we just make sure that the numbers of members in the House are are in proportion to the party's representation in the House. Um, and as you well know, that that can be fraught with some challenges on the part of the whips and House leaders because internal as well as external. <laughs> members uh, members have privileges too. So if a session is being held in Ottawa in the House of Commons. Um, really, members do have privileges to attend that. So this becomes a bit of a challenge for uh, the whips to make sure that when it comes to issues around voting, at least to this point, we don't have another voting system yet, except for those that are present in the House in a reduced quorum. Um, you know, that may change once we get to uh, some kind of a hybrid. But um, the proportions are, are done that way. Uh, if they do go in this route, we'll have video uh, screens up in the house that would incorporate the speech or presentations or questions from members who are participating virtually. But for us, I mean, with 338 MPs spread from, from one ocean coast to the other, um, and some of them with underlying health conditions, it does allow access to the parliamentary function, which as, as limited as it is, is, is still better than not being, able, not being able to exercise your privilege to participate. So 
as with so many things, we're in such a, a different and unique time, we, we are having to adapt. Yes, I mean, the issue of those who've got maybe uh, childcare uh, uh, issues or who've got not necessarily just health conditions themselves, but partners with, uh, with, with health, health conditions, um, those who live in nothing like the level of distance that you have, but the, some of the Scottish islands are a little difficult to, uh, uh, to get to. Uh, but also just, you know, the questions about the sa health and safety of travelling down, uh, down to the Parliament e yeah. each, each week. And those, you know, are issues that we are also uh, trying to reconcile in, uh, in all of these, um, while recognising that particularly if we are asked, saying to the country, we need to start getting back to work, then it really does not sit well if Parliament is not visibly, optically, as well as in reality, um, getting back to uh, work as well. Yeah. To what extent, as far as you're aware, are the, uh, are the actual official side of our uh, Parliament engaging and exchanging uh, best practice or ideas, or even what's not worked and what's failed, in order to spread best practice around the world? That, that's a that's a great question, and uh, I know one of my jobs as a deputy speaker is to is to be the co-chair of our joint interparliamentary council that oversees the operations and funding of our various associations, including CPA. So we, uh, as a as a council, we we essentially shut down the any interparliamentary travel, including visits to Parliament Hill on the 11th of March. Um, so this is why conferences and other things have, have been the consequence of that. Uh, but we, uh, aside from uh, those operations being closed, our clerks and uh, presiding officers and other uh, administrative officials um, at the House, I'm, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not on the inside to know how much they are doing this, uh, but I, I suspect that they have been uh, availing themselves of their, their uh, contacts in other Commonwealth uh, parliaments, including even uh, testimony to our own procedures and House Affairs Committee. We had uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew Hamlin was one of our witnesses to, uh, to help inform that uh, procedures and House uh, uh, House Affairs uh, Committee report. So, uh, and it would appear, in, as I read through the report that I just got uh, earlier this week, um, the the some of the re outreach to other Westminster systems and even our own provincial parliaments to kind of get a sense of what how they were uh, managing their parliamentary work in the in the wake of uh, COVID-19. So it, I do think it's going to be an evolving situation, but this is why calls like today, I think are extremely helpful. And you and I, John, and others in our CPA group, I think can can help to at least get the word out that we need to be sharing some of these if we're going to do this right. Yes, well, I mean, I've always been a great disciple of the Tom Lehrer doctrine, you know, plagiarize, it's why the good Lord gave you eyes. And, uh, you know, I think we should be uh, looking and not just at, um, at the Westminster parliamentary model, because if there are technologies and techniques and ideas that we can get from uh, from other countries and looking at what uh, at what works. Um, you, for example, were just saying about screens. I have to say in the technical term, leave on one side the other issues that I raised earlier. 
in technical sense, then the screens have worked very well in the, mm. house, in the house of commons. Because after all, the commons is much bigger in membership 650. Um, there aren't enough seats. Even if we are, even if we weren't socially distancing, there aren't enough seats to uh, hold everybody. It only holds about two thirds of the uh, of, of the membership, so it's a fairly compact chamber. And uh, but at the same time, the screens have worked well. Of course, you do have problems with connectivity in uh, in, in 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 some cases, and um, broad, you know, frankly, broadband in some of our rural areas is clearly less than uh, less than desirable and also some people have problems with their microphones and so on and, uh, uh, quite a, a few times each each question session the speaker has to say i think the minister has got the gist of that question and the minister will try and do their best with it of course that helps the minister he can answer what he thinks he heard but uh, i have to say in general terms i think that has worked well um, but I think there is quite a bit of infrastructure and effort and organization behind that. And I think it's working out the proportionality of that. And I think one of the drivers for moving back to a more traditional uh, setting is the restrictions that that puts on the, on the hours of the House of Commons and the hours of debate and the length of members of members speeches. So every time as with as it is frankly with combating the whole of the uh, covid-19 crisis it's about a um, it's about a suboptimal balance and i think that, uh, i think there is a reasonable degree of understanding of that not by all members of parliament and of course we do have the situation where quite a number of the scottish members of parliament for the snp are therefore deliberately not turning up, none of them turn up, in order to, to make a political point and also to try and uh, um, accelerate the drive towards independence, which is slightly frustrating, but does free mm -hmm. up some more seats in the Commons for, for mm -hmm. other parts, for ourselves. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, the parties have taken different a different posture on on some of these, as as we've seen it uh, as we've seen it play out. Um, in, in our particular case, because each of the decisions have had to have been essentially negotiated in advance before they even get to the House. These special orders, for example, that have created the special committee on COVID nineteen, the committee, the scope of the committee hearings and and committee. Um, rules and, and conventions uh, for this temporary period of time and uh, so all of that has been had to work out in advance we bring it into the house and it's principally been done by unanimous consent once the parties are all agreed uh, but it will it will be another thing to take that next step for us into the full operations of yeah. uh, parliament uh, for practical things uh, just as you mentioned I mean it's it's fine to have if you have a list of members that are, are going to speak in debate or in other um, aspects of the rubric of the daily program that's one thing but for the chair to be able to as we customarily do recognize members as they rise uh, in for example during debate um, not easy to do that if they're not present so we're we'll need to experiment with things like using the raise hand feature on the zoom um, platform 
in order to uh, watch for members who wish to uh, interrupt or to raise a point of order or to participate in debate. So for chair occupants, there's some there's going to be some training involved in being able to scan and surveil these various elements to know how to manage the proceedings uh, fairly and to make sure that all members are getting the, their proper um, due when it comes to participating in the House. That's very interesting. I think we might like to look at how that works out for you because ours um, is now become very formulaic. Um, in other words, you have a call list every day, and that says who will be called, in what order, they, what number sequence they will be called, how many minutes everybody has. Now, you could argue that that um, enables members then to um, miss quite a bit of the debate, because they know that they're at number 22, and they come in when they see number 19 comes up on the, uh, comes up on the board. Um, again, I think you lose a lot of that interplay Yep. that takes, takes place and the ability, therefore, to engage in debate rather than basically issue proclamations, which yep. is... I couldn't agree more. You know, that's often the case, look, let's be frank, that's often the case <laughs> with, uh, with speeches anyway, but, yes. it, it, but it absolutely accelerates that process. Yeah. And in our in our style, sorry to interrupt you there, yeah. John, in our style of debate, we, 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 there will be, a, say, a 10-minute speech uh, and as just as you say, it's formulated to a great extent. Um, but then following that 10 minutes, there's a period of five minutes for members to pose questions or comments to the member who just gave their speech. And it's during that process that the spontaneity of that is, is a critical piece of how the House deliberates. And quite often, in my opinion, the, the, the more informative and you know, probably quality of debate is much better during that the five minutes because it, the, both the member who gave their speech and the questioner are on point, usually without scripted notes of any kind. Yep, and that's what tests the mettle of a, uh, of a minister and an opposition spokesman, but also tests actually how how robust the policies are as well as how how much the uh, speaker actually understands them and these are very important parts i think of yeah. the whole process of scrutiny yeah so in your hybrid uh, <laughs> model there there isn't um it, it, are all of the elements of the daily program uh, being conducted or are you are you missing any any parts of it well, we're, um, we're only meeting on three days a week, and so we're losing some things there. We're having, <clears throat> therefore, uh, question time for, for a department can be up to an hour, and therefore what you're having is two within that hour, mm -hmm. um, and so therefore you've got a reduced exposure, although departments come around a little bit, uh, a little bit quicker. But uh, apart from that, um, the big thing I think we're losing also, which you just mentioned, is interventions. So where a, a minister or a spoke, sorry, speaker <coughs> makes a contentious point, the ability of someone to rise and say on, a po you know, on that particular point and to therefore really explore that there and then in the immediacy of the moment, that gets lost. As I say, it's becoming really rather formulaic. Yeah. So, and and I think that is uh, that that element 
that ability to be able to resource points to interrupt, to intervene when, it, when it's appropriate to do so. Um, but, you know, that ability needs to be part of the picture. And if we're going to have that virtual uh, or by video conference participation, those members would need to have uh, that as well. So I think these are some of the things we'll be doing. Uh, I, I did see a, a simulation of what the House has uh, prepared. They, in anticipation of what the Procedures and House Affairs Committee might um, recommend, they went about the last few weeks to to pull together the equipment and the necessary broadcasting quality um, facilities that they need to take this uh, parliamentary proceeding to a higher level, certainly than what we have been achieving with the Zoom meetings um, for the special committee these last few weeks. So they, they are ready to launch that, but of course it, it uh, comes down to what the House uh, may decide on Monday. Well, indeed, and I think we would uh, be very interested to see the outcome of that, because I think one of the key messages that's come out of this discussion is the great mutual advantage as we those of us who are involved in organizations like the CPA and the IPU and uh, other, other such organizations is the ability to actually exchange ideas and experiences and not to have to keep reinventing the wheel and finding out that yep. it's better to have it round than square and to make sure that um, you know, we are progressing and feeding, and feeding off each other, particularly yep. at this uh, critical time. And, and I think part of it too is in is in how this will evolve because I'm, you're, you as well as ourselves will face a, um, a, a gradual, I assume, reopening of the ability, for example, right now in the province of Ontario, where the House of Commons is situated, they still have restrictions of only up to five people gathering at any time. They're on a, on a phased step-by-step um, -step approach to reopening that may see the number of people gathering to be greater than that. Um, we've been able to manage okay with the house so far with with uh, members as long as there's social distancing of up to 50 people but um, as the numbers get bigger I, I think there will be some pressure from members to have perhaps larger in-person gatherings that in turn will in turn will also um, probably bring expectations for more support staff so right now we we have a just a, whatever minimum staff are required security and others like any of the food operations and regular room operations of the parliamentary precinct are all but shut down until such time as uh, we get back to some other operations. So all of these things have a consequence, we, we, but we'll do it in a phased approach over the next few months. Well, I'm very pleased to say that in the House of Commons, in true British style, they're still feeding us. And that is, uh, <laughs> That's good well. to know. I think Good now we're you. running towards the end of, our, uh, of our time on this, but what I think this has demonstrated is not just the value of the, uh, of the CPA in bringing, in bringing this together, but also actually the huge value of learning from each other's experiences in real, in real time, so that we can keep up with the pace of the uh, pandemic, but also the pace at which we need to be recovering not just our parliamentary processes, but quite frankly, our economies as well, in, uh, in, or in order for the benefit of our populations who are not just facing the coronavirus and not just facing disease, but also in many cases now facing unemployment 
and facing increasing increasing poverty. And I think yeah. it's enormously important that in parliamentary processes, but also in government processes, we uh, we watch, listen, and learn and replicate wherever possible. So. Thank you very much for participating in this, which certainly I found helpful and hope you have as well. Oh, very much so, John, and, and I appreciate the chance to participate. I, I, I'm left with the same conclusion, honestly, that uh, this suggests that you know we should be doing this across the CPA a little more. And so again, uh, I'll feather in the cap of uh, the CPA to get this, uh, these sessions uh, set up. And perhaps as, as it evolves over the next uh, weeks and months ahead, we can come back to some of these topics and see how the success and experience has been. But I appreciate the chance to be with you this afternoon. And indeed, and hopefully sometime this year or early next year, we'll reinstate the twice postponed visit to uh, visit to Canada, which uh, I was certainly looking forward, forward to, and uh, I'm sure my colleagues were as well. As am I. Thank you very much and have a good afternoon. Right.